And that being hopeful, that is leaning into the discomfort, being courageous and yeah. uh, plugging yourself into things like this, you know, into community initiatives, into speaking up in TV shows, in podcasts about what matters mm -hmm. to you, why, and celebrating our diversity and yeah. absolutely staying hopeful. Hi, my name is Orlando and you're listening to Cooking Back to Our Roots with my mom, Vivian Aqua, the DE. I consulted at Amplify DEI. My mom will be talking to different guest speakers from the African diaspora in the Netherlands. The podcast is not just about food, but also about connecting the conversation with our roots and cultivating a deeper appreciation for our shared heritage. Welcome to Cooking Back to Our Roots. And I am curious about who you are, what you do. So can you share that with the audience, please? Yes, I'll give you my serious face now. My name is Iken <laughs> Weekend. People won't see it on the podcast, though. People won't see it. <laughs> yeah, but they will feel it. They'll feel my seriousness. You've ruined it. You've ruined my seriousness already. You're, you're jeopardizing this interview, this conversation. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. Serious. My name is Ikenda Azwike. I am a broadcaster, a documentary filmmaker, and occasional moderator and host of different events. I I guess you could say I've developed a kind of specialism when it comes to questions around identity, belonging, social and climate justice, and in a kind of broader sense, democracy. Those in those are the areas that I, I feel I bring something to and I, I, I feel the most passionate about. Mm -hmm. And why, is, why are those topics important for you to address them? They, they matter. They improve. Uh, uh, they're under, under attack in, in certain respects. Like Democracy is under attack. Social and climate justice are terms that, you know, a, a lot of people just switch off from and they just think, well, we're in an economy where I've got to look after myself and that's the most important thing. And you, they're not thinking of solidarity and community, which are themes that are important to me, perhaps because I've, I haven't felt part of a community for a while, like the black community for a while. So, and this, these are themes that I've really kind of developed a love for fairly recently, like let's say the past 10 years. And so maybe I gravitate towards these things because I actually really need them myself. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's the, why that, yeah, you just want a bit to leave a better world and then feel like, you know, what the work that you're doing, because we spend so many hours of our lives working actually matters and it's doing something good. Yeah. So I am going to add a little bit more to Ikena's bio because he's selling himself short a little bit here. So the way that I've gotten to know Ikena as a broadcaster, you can Google him. He has been on BBC. You had your own TED Talk, right? About yeah. what was the topic? TEDx Houston, my wake-up call. Yeah. About Why your wake-up call? Because I used to be a lawyer, bank finance lawyer. Mm-hmm. I studied law, I went to law school, worked as it. Isn't that interesting though? Sorry to cut you short, but isn't that one of the top five things that African parents want you to become, right? Cool. <laughs> With the fifth thing being a disappointment. So you can be a doctor, lawyer, yeah. a banker, or a disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, but I don't want to put all the like 
blame on my father. I mean, I mainly did it because I knew my dad really wanted me to do it. But mm-hmm. there was, to be fair, nothing else at the time I was really passionate about. So mm-hmm. it just felt like, okay, yeah, it's, it's a good degree to have. And then you get the degree and then you're like, well, I can get sp- I can get sponsored, so they they pay you an amount to to join them, and then they pay a salary. So it's like, well, I've got some friends who are doing it, so I guess I'll I'll make that step. And before you know it, or before I knew it, I was like four years in, and I'd been like unhappy for three years and three hundred and sixty four days of that, you know. So mm-hmm. I thought, okay, I was working in the states in New York, and that city really has has an energy, and it. It was the year of Obama and the year of hope and belief and and like almost rediscovering who I am, what's important to me. And with the support of my now wife, Meta Tefelda, we said, you know, let's let's just stop this. Let's do something completely different. What what yeah, do what what matters to you, and uh, we'll make it work somehow. And it was nerve wracking because we had a mortgage and. And I became an intern. So I kept quit my job and became an intern again mm-hmm. uh, and made my dad very unhappy. But uh, yeah, along the way, it's kind of, it's paid off just in terms of happiness, financially stable and all that kind of stuff. So what I was saying that I've seen also Ikena doing the TED Talk, he shared a little bit more about what he was doing before and what he's doing now, but also a broadcaster. You are a documentary maker, which you are creating at the moment right now about the combination of Europe and African being an African within Europe, right? And there's so much more to you. I just wanted to justify, but also to share that there's so much more to you than those two sentences that you share right now. This is sisterly love that I'm sharing here right now, that we are selling ourselves too short to tell more about ourselves. I know that you're a talker. So what else can you add about yourself, Ikena? Oh, Lord. Um, what can I add about myself? Well, I know I'm, I'm a dad mm-hmm. of uh, two children. And what do you mean work-wise or? Whatever-wise, where you live. Oh, now I'm going like, to You ended up in the Netherlands. <laughs> I'm more used to asking questions of other people. I know. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. Uh, I ended up in the Netherlands because I fell in love with my wife 20 years ago this year. And we went backwards and forwards because she lived here. I lived in the, in London. Went back on the forwards for a year. And then I decided I would love to move. And she decided, yeah, let's, you can move in with me. And, and that happened. Then I moved to the Netherlands, still in my job as a lawyer. Still pretty unhappy with my job, but every time you make a new move or a new step, it kind of prolongs the the shit you're you're willing to put up with because you're like, okay, well, it's a new new people, new city, everything, and so maybe it's okay. And then you realize pretty quickly it's not. But anyway, so I did that, and then I'd already I already had ideas before quitting of maybe I'll go and study again. I was thinking about a master's in in something like international relations or something politics related. But then my old employer, a law firm, a US law firm, invited me to join their firm again because I had to switch firms when I came to the Netherlands, but in the New York office. 
And that was just like an, an opportunity too good to turn down, to go and live in New York for a year. So I took it, moved over there. And uh, like I said, it was a city that gave me the confidence to just rediscover like everything about my own identity. I was literally wearing different clothes. I started wearing like mm -hmm. this trilby hat, you know, like and, and long jackets and all this stuff like I didn't do because often like growing up in the UK and working here in the Netherlands, you put this or I did at any rate, this mask on. I just, I felt like I couldn't even embrace like my blackness. I, I had spent mm -hmm. so long kind of moving and hiding who I was in very white worlds that I thought, you know, I couldn't even, I didn't even feel comfortable to have the haircut. I, I now always have like with this line in there, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. just because I thought I'd intimidate people or I'd wear glasses because I thought, yeah. oh, that, that will make me seem less intimidating and, and they'll think I'm, I'm cleverer and this kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. I was exploring all of that in New York, but very like baby steps exploring it. But with the support of my wife, we quit. I quit law. We moved back to the, to the Netherlands. We started a foundation focused on sustainability in the creative industries. And at the same time, I became an intern in what was then called the Wereld Omroep. It's kind of like mm -hmm. the BBC World Service, but in the Netherlands. Started making radio. And I pretty quickly liked the idea of, well, maybe I can do something in front of camera, presenting. I've always kind of enjoyed presenting, but I, I, I'd never done it in, a, in the legal world because I was just like too unhappy to do it and on say insecure. But then we did it and it was developed this kind of video blog called What's Up Africa with a focus mm -hmm. on news from Africa, but also with comedy sketches and satire and celebrating Africa, but also not being patronizing and, and like criticizing the you know, corrupt politicians or yeah, policies. And after a couple of years of making that, luckily enough, it was spotted by BBC and they invited my, me to come over and like do a, a course over there, which I did with my cameraman who filmed it. I worked with two different cameramen, Dominic mm -hmm. Super and Desh Bugalu, and they really liked it. And so before I knew it, there was a show on BBC called what, with What's Up Africa, me presenting, and we made like six, six seasons of it. Kind of intimidating for another reason, because you've got 10 million viewers watching every episode and it's only five minute blocks. And it was tacked on to the end of Focus on Africa, which was a BBC World mm -hmm. news program. But the responses were amazing. Like I would travel around sub-Saharan Africa and people would recognize me and be like, hey, what's up, Africa? <laughs> yeah, it was so much fun. I really felt like, yeah, what we were doing mattered. You know, people were listening. And one episode, we were criticizing mm -hmm. the Kenyan police and and they, they responded to, they sent a letter to the BBC saying, hey, we want a right of reply because what was said is not fully accurate. We want to do, say this, this, and this. So, yeah. Mm, talking a lot, but okay. Uh, yeah, but there's, you see, there's so much more about you. Let me, let me take over the wheel so that you can, you yeah. can let everything marinate because so far you haven't shared anything about your roots. So where are your roots from? I'm sorry. Yes. I was born in Nigeria. I am 
my dad is Nigerian. My mother is English, although she is actually half German, half Ukrainian. That I was born in Nigeria, in Lagos, uh, in the neighborhood called Suleri. And when I was eight years old, we moved to the UK. And my dad had to go to London and he was working there as a minicab driver, although he could have done much more, but that's what he was doing to earn some cash. And my mum was a nurse. She was working night shifts. So I spent a lot of time with my grandmother on my mum's side. Mm -hmm. That's, those are my roots. Yeah. What can you say about, what can you tell people about Nigeria instead of people Googling or looking it up in Lonely Planet? What, what is that thing or what, what are the things that people need to know about Nigeria? Nigeria is full of so much life, 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 mm -hmm. life. When I think of Nigeria, I just think of life. It is chaotic. If you go to Lagos, for instance, it's a city of 22 million people and you feel all those millions the second you step off the plane and into, into mm -hmm. another airport. People of all colors, shapes, sizes, shades of black, and you feel the, the energy, the hustle. Nigerians mm -hmm. are very eh, impatient people in the sense that they want progress. We want to develop mm -hmm. either yourself or your family or your community. And you want to do that in multiple different ways. So there's this concept of the Nigerian hustle. And mm -hmm. that's, you see all around you, you feel it, people looking for opportunities. And when they grab them, making the most of them. And I'm talking in business, I'm talking in art. If you look around, you see Nigerians representing at all levels internationally when it comes to mm -hmm. arts, when it comes to politics, when it comes to finance or law, whatever it is. So those are the, the initial words that, that I associate with Nigeria. Life, energy, hustle, buzz, chaos, loud, frustrating because the governments, successive governments have been so disappointing in their inability to look after people. Um, so mm -hmm. whether you are rich and like, I mean like obscenely rich, like a billionaire or whether you are poor, the poorest of the poor, you end up having to look after yourself. So the rich mm -hmm. have on Victoria Island, they will have gated communities where they look, where they supply, they ensure that their own supply of water, of energy and electricity and security is all catered for. But the poor will have the same thing. They will also have mm -hmm. in like an area which might be described in the West as a, as, a, as a slum, they will also have gates. They will also employ people locally to provide local security. They will also sort out their own education, their own local schools, their own water collection systems, their own energy collection systems. So it is frustrating that, yeah, no matter where you are in society, you, you can't rely on the government. Yeah. To, to cater for you. Thank you. And why did you say yes when I, I mean, I have to demystify something because Ikena was supposed to be on the show of Cooking Back to Our Roots, but life happens, other situation happened. And I asked Ikena, like, you have to be on the podcast. So in general, why did you say yes to Cooking Back to Our Roots? Um, I guess a few reasons. One is any opportunity to promote Nigerian jollof, I have to take. Obviously, when the um, done error, error. <laughs> that is number one. Obviously, that that is 
that is the most. We've got to have a conversation about this. <laughs> but apart from that, quickly following in number two and number three is we met each other when we were shooting a, sh- a short documentary. Mm-hmm. And we got on, and I, at least I feel so. And I know I you. <laughs> and I want to support you in what you're doing. Yeah. And the third thing is from us, I, I want to be plugged into the community, the black community here mm-hmm. in the Netherlands. And um, this is out there and this is something I can get, I can share my stories and understand because when we talk about my documentary, like part of it is feeling that I haven't been plugged in to the black community. And to be honest, also struggling with blackness. Being able to call myself a black man has been something mm-hmm. of a struggle because I spend so much of my life kind of navigating white worlds and almost suppressing my blackness. So opportunities like this are also a reminder of all the shared black experiences I have with the black community, of my pride, of my respect for the culture, of of my eagerness to pass it on to my kids because now my dad is not there anymore. I do feel this responsibility to do that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, those are the three main reasons, I'd say. I can recognize so much in what you are saying because one of our guests who is going to be on the West Africa episode, Marsha, is biracial, right? And with what you are saying, but also with Marsha, what she is saying, I'm learning so much more about how I can prepare my child, who Orlando, who is biracial as well, t- for him to be able to be himself because I know I be himself because I know that he has two cultures within one. Where does he fit in? Where does he fit in? Will he fit in the black side? Will he fit in the Dutch side? And it helps me a lot to prepare him for what's coming. Mm. Um, and thank you for sharing that as well, because not only are you helping yourself or helping me, but you're helping also other people to understand that love us for who we are. Don't divide and conquer us for who we are, but love us for who we are and embrace all the different cultures that we bring. That part of Ukrainian, I, I I did not know. But then again, if we don't ask those questions, how will we know, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. And I, I think another important thing is to make people realize that let's not oversimplify things. Mm-hmm. Because I reduce blackness to so, like, just to almost like, to one core ingredient of yeah, how dark your skin is, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's so, so oversimplified. It's like all shades of black. There's all, there's good experiences, there's bad experiences. There's, if you share these things, so those, that oversimplification is something I think I struggled with. So maybe others mm-hmm. will struggle with it. And yeah, one day the whole Ukrainian thing is something I'd like to explore. I haven't felt any. Uh, yeah, like, yeah, deep reason to do it till now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but maybe that will, uh, that will emerge one day. I hope you will do that soon, sooner than later, right? Because it's important for us to learn more about our roots, no matter where you come from. Yeah. Why do you so, think, why do you think it's important? Um, I will share the things that I've learned from my guest speakers, but also the things that I've learned from my friends who are Surinamese, who are from the Dutch Antilles, that I know I come from a Ghanaian lineage, right? I can trace my lineage where I come from, whereas so many other people, 
they don't know where they come from. They want to demystify that part. And luckily right now there are registers out there that can help, but still it doesn't share the narrative, the narrative as in your Ukrainian part. What are your ancestors telling, you know, what have they, what have they encountered? What empowered them? Because it, it gives you some kind of confidence to know who your ancestors were, but also know that they have paved the way for you, that it's it's your obligation or your honor to carry that baton forward. That's how I see it. Mm. Yeah, I recognize uh, a lot of my motivation to explore my roots in what you said. No. Okay, now I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask and I'm afraid to ask this question because I know what will come up but I do have this quite I do have to ask this question because it's the main thing for the show <laughs> and you share your favorite meal that you want to share with us the reason why there is a hesitation because there's there is a jollof war going between the two of us and in the show of West Africa I am I am I am touching that a little bit but the gun the jollof in general, right? The West African jollof in general. There is this, let's say this, this playful war going on about who has the best. And I can only vouch for the Ghanaian, but I know that you can vouch for, for the Nigerian. He even, his company name is even jollof. And I was just like, what? <laughs> yeah, man. It's just, yeah, so that is my favorite dish. I mean, Nigerian <laughs> is certainly... Mm-hmm. Because yeah, I grew up with I associate it with um with joy because often mm-hmm. yes. not at home, but it serves at birthday parties and yeah. weddings, which you get dragged to as a small child. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. But it's gonna be too long I'm going. Yeah. So often it's eaten in places where there is laughter, joy, happiness, and and that's probably why it's made such an impression on me. And yes, when I came to the point of thinking up a name for my company, mm-hmm. I thought about these more serious names, and then I thought, well, mm-hmm. yeah, laughter is important to me as well, and the things I love. So yeah, I just called it Jollof Rice Productions. <laughs> I saw that on his LinkedIn I, I, and asked him the first, one of the first questions that I asked like, where are you from because I need to know if we need to declare the world or need to connect and unite well I'm just kidding people I'll, I'll make sure in the show notes but I'll make sure to add a video about the war in the show notes as well yes <laughs> and there's a funny song did I ever send it to you from sister yes, yeah. yes, you did. You did. You did. And the declaration is simple, right? It's Ghanaian, right? So <laughs> Gamma Jalo. And your number two. And number two is okra soup. And Ooh, that is yes. small one. Yes. Especially the you know, the draw. It's yeah. it's a soup that a lot of um Maybe it's West African in general, but certainly Nigerian mm-hmm. kids grow up on because you don't have to make it too peppery. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's very easy to eat. It's tasty. And I remember being at the kitchen table with my dad feeding me jollof. Mm-hmm. In, I mean, okra soup into my mouth. Yeah. With fufu with, or with rice? With ever pounded yam. No, with rice. Yeah. Never eaten it with rice. 
It's always with. The, so you call your fufu eba? Yes. Is that what it is? Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, with with meat or with stockfish, mm-hmm. but I'm not a big fan of stockfish, so I prefer goat meat, although I'm now kind of vegetarian. Well, I still eat fish, but so I'm a pescatarian, I guess. But no, that okay. is uh, certainly my second on the list. Awesome. And third. Third, what did I actually put down? I like, I feel like, I can't remember what I put up, but third is, um, um, like, I don't know, like sushi. I like my sushi. <laughs> now I filled in the list and I'm just trying to recall our pre-production, like a pre-interview list. I can't remember what I put down. I don't know either. I don't know either, but if if it is sushi, then it's sushi, right? That's, that's no. about you. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's probably sushi. I feel like I wrote something else down, but. No, I think it's probably sushi. I didn't eat sushi till maybe I associate sushi with just like growing up, like because I could only like afford it when I started making my own money. Like we didn't eat yeah, that yeah. up. So maybe, yeah. and that kind of, I'm always someone like I, I love meeting people from different cultures and I'm trying new foods, embracing new cultures. And that is mm-hmm. so different to everything like Japanese culture from everything that I've read I've never been there but so different I think that's why I'm also drawn to it yeah I love it and from all the the three meals that you shared do your kids eat Nigerian as well from time to time sure from time to time when we when we actually because there's a I can't make it well I say can't I probably could if I you can but you don't have the patience I, I I need I don't either so I get it I yeah. get it. So, but we have it for my mom's birthday and sometimes I'm mm-hmm. it. they're not a fan of okra soup. They think so your mom can make it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom lived for 11 years in Nigeria. Wow. And also when we came home, so when we came to England, yeah. so she can cook rice stew, egusi, okra, moi wow. moi, all those snacks. So she's good at that. Yeah. Although her job is not great. It's not. I know that this is recorded. I right? know. I know. I don't know why I have more quietly because she can still hear it. <laughs> but she knows, and I know my aunt, of the unit, Thomas, her jollof. Yeah. He's saying, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 People using jollof herbs and think that just mixing them between rice that it's you know it's creating that jollof, but jollof is love and it takes time to do that as well. And I don't make it myself. I have an aunt who is residing in a world of food. She's now going somewhere else very soon, and she makes the jollof the way I know them, how my grandmother made them. So for me, eating that from her or buying that from her. It resembles that taste, the structure, the element, and the love that I have from my grandmother. So that's why, and it's time for me to learn it. But there's that—that's a whole nother season. That, <laughs> but there has to be you and I have to. We've got to learn this, and then we've got to have our own like mini face face off. Like okay, definitely, we've got definitely. Maybe we can work towards it. But like the end of next season of your show should be actually. A dish you make it. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Huh? A 
cook-off, straight up cook-off. And then we we invite people to taste live. Yeah, I'll invite my crowd so that it doesn't, it doesn't, it, there has to be a balance of biased people, right? We don't, no, we, need gonna be a we need to win. Moment. It'll be a painful moment to have those who are closest to you, your loved ones, look at you and just say, I'm sorry, it's rice is better. You don't want to bring them. Cut this one out. Gonna cut this one out. <laughs> yeah, Let's move on to the next question. Yes. Because so far I've done three episodes, at least three episodes are live. And I've noticed you, I think that I noticed you watching the, the Ghanaian version. Yes. In general, what did you learn from watching Cooking Back to Our Roots season two? And what is it that you would like to highlight? I think, well, to be honest, I feel like I watched like one and a half episodes. So I think it's just like what you said earlier about wanting to pass on mm -hmm. the message, wanting to pass yeah. on. There's a, there's a kind of communal, I don't know, fear maybe it's too, too strong, but like just an acknowledgement that it's up to us. Like no one mm -hmm. else can do it. It's really, it's absolutely up to us to, to, to pass on the knowledge. And if we don't, then maybe somewhere in our subconscious, there is not all of us have embraced it equally yet, but there is a fear, at least certainly with me, that if we don't, then yeah, what, yeah, what, what's left, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. that's something that, uh, that jumps out at me, I think. And, yeah. and we, and it's it's a joyful process to do it because it's also acknowledging that there's still lots of things we've got to learn, mm -hmm. and and that's okay. Maybe I could have learned them earlier. I could have asked more questions earlier, but I just didn't for whatever reason, lack of interest or time or yeah, just busy with other things. But I'm asking them now, and it's not too late. And mm -hmm. that's I'm learning as well through my through this documentary we're making just to be a little bit more laid back about it because I've, I've made it such a big like lust on my shoulders, a big, like this is weight for me. I'm responsible. My father is no longer here. I've got to do this, you know, and yeah. just walk, tread a bit more lightly through life, like embrace it take on the knowledge and pass it on. And it's, there is, there's time. Yeah, and luckily we live in a in an age where we can document our our knowledge or the stories in a different way than, you know, from mouth to mouth. Now we have podcasts and audio and, and video and so many other things where we can document our stories but also reclaim our narrative. Because I feel like even though I mean, I know that I'm Ghanaian and I know that you are partially Nigerian, but still the fact that some of our ancestors or family members were stolen, right? That part of the history, we cannot rewrite that history because we don't know where they are and where they are from and how they ended up. And I want us to be able to build bridges no matter where you're from within the African diaspora. I want us to connect and unite because if you look at our food, I can trace it to so many countries now. I can trace it to the Caribbean. I can trace it to so many places, even some of the Western or European cuisines are inspired from the African cuisine. And I want us yeah. to reclaim our narrative. Yeah, absolutely. 
in my travels, I remember the yeah, Ang- uh, Angolan food, Kalulukonfunge, which yeah. Yeah. like use um, obviously East Africa. There's so many commonalities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is absolutely something that is a shared experience, and, and we can we should celebrate. Yeah, you mentioned something about you being a lawyer, but also now being the person that you are, where you are a documentary maker, a presenter, a moderator, and so many things that you're doing a lot of things on stage and before the camera or behind the camera. But when you look at your past, the way you grew up, what is it that you want other people to learn from what you have faced in your past? What would maybe something that you would like to do different or not a different at all? Um, I think the my lack of curiosity was something maybe I would like to have redressed if I could, in hindsight, curiosity about yeah my own roots to an extent. Although when you're when your parents is there, an African parent, you kind of you don't necessarily feel the urge because there my dad was my barometer for all things Nigerian. Mm-hmm. So as long as yeah. he's there. I didn't feel like yeah. uh, this this burning urge to find out more, but mm-hmm. uh, your more curiosity about, but to an extent, yeah, curiosity about roots, about other family members, Nigerian family members, spending time with them, growing up with them, because we're now not as tight. Mm-hmm. So that would be that would be a nice thing to still feel now, which again mm-hmm. it's too late, but. Maybe I could have started earlier with that. What else? Leaning into like more discomforts, like the diff- making more difficult choices rather than taking the easy road. Like with, for instance, law, like I didn't want confrontation. In general, I don't like confrontations, mm-hmm. um, except of course, when it's about John of Rice, um, then I'm all <laughs> <ready. laughs> But, You're killing me right but, now. You're killing me. <laughs> but like, you know, that saying to me, Dad, for instance, I really don't want to do law. I want to do mm-hmm. like journalism or something. I didn't. I don't think many of us, when we're young, we want to stand up to our parents in that way. Also, because of the fact that their generation could not really stand up against their parents, right? And I grew up as well, where. I'm the eldest of four and I have an age difference with my sister who's 14 where she is a millennial or she's a Gen Z-ish and she stands up in a way that I'm looking like if I, wow. if I would have done that only just the look looking at my parents in a way that would have caused me it wouldn't have an impact would have consequences and she is doing what she's doing because and you know I've I've Let's say that the walls, I've broken the walls, then the brothers have broken the walls, so there are no walls anymore. And she's getting yeah. away with a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she knows that. She knows that. I think that's important that she knows it or she's aware of it. And there should be kind of like, yeah, limits to these things. Because if you, mm-hmm. if, if you have no walls or no shepherding from the back, like leading from the back, if you don't have any of that, then you're just like this... Yeah, projectile which has no direction at all. So, mm-hmm, true. I think it's important to to give our kids space. Well, that's how I try and do it anyway. I'm trying to give them mm-hmm. real 
And one thing is, it's amazing to to say that you're proud of your kids, that that's so well done. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Up to a certain age, that's all you want to hear. And that's all you want to give. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of parents want to give. But what's also important is for a child to get their own sense of pride out of their own accomplishments. Because yeah. Yeah. The, the trap that I fell into and, you know, I wasn't able to even be aware I was in that trap till like my late thirties is that everything, every decision I was taking was still to make my dad proud. Even all things mm-hmm. like smell. Yeah. Yeah. So but was- this is so common for so many, for so many people within the African diaspora that we do things to make our parents proud. And yeah. Which is it's, yeah, it's good, but it's it's not. There shouldn't be just that. There should also be a sense of yeah, what what do I want to do? I am my own man, kind of thing. Just saying those words, I have found very very difficult because it felt like a betrayal to my to my dad, you know. But we are our own people, so you mm-hmm. can things can exist side by side. You can love a parent unconditionally, but you can also say, "I don't agree with you." Really. Well, it's not, it's not always easy, especially even though I am older, it's not easy to say no to my parents or I'm just not going to have that conversation because I know how, how challenging the conversation will be when I address it. And I'm just like, pick my battles. I pick my battles. Take my battle. And that's kind of sad, really, because I mean, mm-hmm. because you know, as a parent, you want your kid to be able to feel comfortable enough to talk to you about absolutely everything. So if there are things that your own child is putting off the table because they're concerned about the reaction, then yeah, it's it's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a missed opportunity to be able to guide and have a conversation and grow closer and disagree, disagree agreeably. Yeah. That's why I also believe that it's upon us to change that direction because I'm not going to say that my Guinean upbringing was it, you know, gentle parenting. No, <laughs> not at all. But however, it did, it did make me the person that I am today. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to bring a lot of elements in, but I am going to bring some elements in. Like, did you know that your mother, like all those stories where the African parents said, did you know in the past I had to do this and now you're doing that? What are you doing now? That's not even, that's little, right? Everybody can recognize in those things where I'm still doing that with Orlando to this day, which I catch myself on and find it annoying. But then again, it brings him. I hope that he finds inspiration from that, that what he's what he gets now, it's just very easy, very simple. I wanna I wanna address what would you like people to take with them to the present right now? What do you mean? In 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 broader sense, I mean, I can we can talk about what happened in the Netherlands recently, right? Mm-hmm. We can talk about sustainability. We can talk about whatever topic that you want to bring mm-hmm. that is necessary for people to activate now, yesterday, as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it would be between two things. It is mm-hmm. discomfort and yeah. courage. Because, yeah, but it's also, I still want people to, to be hopeful and focus on joy. Jesus, it's four things. <laughs> you can miss it by each one of them. Okay. So the discomfort thing is something that I've, I've been 
thinking about a lot over the last, let's say, three years especially, which is just mm-hmm. the, a lot of us confuse comfort with happiness. Mm-hmm. And really, the, the growth, the, the self-development, the understanding of yourself and why you're here and what you can do for other people comes from leaning into discomfort and, and thinking, mm-hmm. what are the difficult paths that you can tread and why do you find them difficult and what can they, what can they bring? So discomfort is, is something I think that can, leaning into discomfort can bring a lot of people more, ultimately more peace of mind, more understanding about themselves and, and more growth. The courage mm-hmm. comes from, oh, is more about just how it's it's such an easy word to speak out, but the the the, the feeling of of what it means to be courageous almost feels a bit watered down these days. But it is it's speaking out, you know. It's it's being, and it's got to do with that discomfort as well. It's being at the kitchen table and your parents saying something like a bit racist. Mm-hmm. maybe looking me or whatever and just saying, you know what? That's not cool. You know, I really mm-hmm. want you yeah. to say, it's a member of your family voting for a political party that is racist. Exactly. And, and mm-hmm. you're like, you know what? I'm done, buddy. I don't want to explain this stuff anymore, but just know that I, that I'm really unhappy. I'm disappointed in you. And, and I'll, uh, and, and I want you to kind of think of the impact of what you're doing. So it's the courage is for me, it's about speaking up and making difficult choices as well. The hope and the joy, well, almost speak for themselves. I mean, as long as we have kids and young people around us, we have, always have a responsibility to be hopeful. Yeah. So, and, and just taking joy where we can, because it's not joy is so like deep. It is, it's, it's, and it's not everywhere. It's in these fleeting moments. So when you have those moments, just take a moment, just stop and just let it in for a little bit. Just soak it up. And because for the rest of the time, I'm like, it's more like I'm kind of chasing contentment, which isn't even mm-hmm. it's like happiness. It's not, it's just like, yeah, this is okay. But when I yeah. feel joy, oh man, I, I do try and reflect on it for a bit because I don't feel it that often, to be honest, if I'm yeah. if, and if that's you don't eat jollof too often, is that what you're saying? I'm eating and jollof. That's why I'm not <laughs> feeling that yet enjoy often enough. I'm gonna stop this conversation. <laughs> gonna stop this conversation. People, you see how he is? Do you see him? Do you hear him? <laughs> so yeah, that's those are my two cents. Yeah. Yeah. I get you. And I've reached the final question where we both have kids, right? And with what's happening now, especially with, I have to share something to the audience. Recently, a Dutch party, a party that's far right, in my opinion, gained a lot of votes. And there hasn't been any coalition formed, but it's worrying me because this party is pro-Black people. He is against people who identify themselves with the Islamic religion. And he's, you know, up to so many things right now that I am worried, not only worried about my, my child, but also about my, my own well-being that 
Within Amsterdam, he wasn't the biggest party, but outside of Amsterdam, he was a huge party. So will I be safe if I leave Amsterdam and go for a training somewhere or wherever? And I want to I wanna ask the following question into, I know that it takes a while for change to happen, to reach that part of inclusion or, or to reach that part where exclusion is less. But what is the message that you want to share for the future that can help with mitigating the current challenges that people are facing right now when it comes to exclusion, discrimination, racism, etc.? I think there's a few things to unpack from what you said. The first is, yes, mm-hmm. he just one of the PVV is the name of the party. They are a far-right party when you mm-hmm. think of the policies. They just won the election, but... Yeah, the country didn't change overnight. Like this is something mm-hmm. that has been building up for yeah. the last 13 years because of failed policies from the previous government, mm-hmm. uh, vision from the previous government. And, you know, in speaking to what you, what you said about being afraid of taking the train, you've been taking the train while this has been a reality, a political reality, mm-hmm. last 13 years anyway. So immediate safety is not, I don't think necessarily one to be like, to, to make you have lots of anxiety about, but it absolutely is, there is a trend of normalizing hate. Um, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, it's on the upward curve and we are definitely on that curve. But the, the words that I mentioned earlier are ways of that we can together, we can ensure that that curve doesn't continue. It plateaus out and hopefully it then falls off a cliff and, uh, and, re- and reduces. And that, that being hopeful, that is leaning into the discomfort, being courageous and yeah. uh, plugging yourself into things like this, you know, into community initiatives, into speaking up in TV shows, in podcasts about what matters mm-hmm. to you why and celebrating our diversity and yeah. absolutely staying hopeful. So, yeah, try not to be too anxious about what has happened overnight or, and because like I said, it's been there for a while and be hopeful about the future, but, but it requires work. It requires, mm-hmm. work, and that means a time investment and that means saying no to other projects that uh, might be more lucrative, but doing, saying yes to other, pro- to, to projects, which are more about community and and togetherness and showing solidarity. So yeah, there is there is a, a cost of black here. There's there's like a, a a price to pay, but the rewards yeah. are are beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I believe so too. Thank you, Ikena, for having this conversation. Very impactful, very empowering. And I hope that people walk away with something tangible to apply to themselves, but also to apply to their environment as well. Thank you. You're very welcome. I really enjoyed it and look forward to sharing the podcast and being on the show. I think we need to do this in person. I'm looking forward to that. Let's 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 see if the let's see if there is something else that can support me to continue because I would love to continue, but then again, I am working. I'm currently working on that to see how I can follow up after this. So thank you. Okay. Now you take care, Vivian, and let me know when it's online. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Cooking Back to Our Roots. I hope you enjoyed my mom's conversation with the guest speakers. If you love what you heard today, don't forget to share this episode with your friends and family. Until next time, bye!